Welcome to All Things Africa, the podcast. Listen in as Levy, Mike, and Linda discuss socio-political and economic current events and how they affect Africans worldwide. Hello. Today we are talking about uh, black consciousness and what that means with respect to action individually, um, as a community, as a diaspora community, and even more broadly speaking. And we are fortunate to have with us Nandre, who is an activist and scholar whose activism has spanned over two decades and started in her youth. She's a Pan-Africanist who has worked in the field of youth organizing and youth civic engagement for over 20 years. She's also a scholar whose work examines the neocolonial and racist nature of public education in Africa and in the African diaspora, with an emphasis on how African history is misrepresented and misconstrued to the detriment of African youth. Nandre is a leader of Lynx Nigeria, that's L-Y-N-X Nigeria, which is a Nigerian youth development organization that encourages Nigerian youth to learn their history and culture and become active members of their communities and engaged citizens of the world. She recently graduated with her PhD from Pennsylvania State University with a degree in education theory and policy and comparative and international education. Welcome, Nandri. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Thank you. So uh, if we'll just get to it, Nandri, can you just uh, tell us or speak to our audience in the most possible way they can understand this concept? Uh, what is Black consciousness? Well, Black consciousness is actually um, a concept that was developed in South Africa um, by Steve Biko and other members of the Black consciousness movement in the 1960s after the Sharpeville massacre. And it was, that's where the term comes from. And it was in response to a kind of an ideological void after mem many members of different movements, such as the ANC and the um, other Af Pan-African Congress had actually, um, most of them had been imprisoned. And so there were these young people, mostly college and university students that decided there needed to be a, a very, a more radical vision of what black life should look like, particularly under, in South Africa. But over the years, various different, um, I would say, um, different, different things have come out of black consciousness. So black consciousness for me now embraces the idea that black people should be aware of their blackness and should be united in terms of confronting anti-blackness, which is, exists across the world today, and embracing who they are and also embracing collectiveness. So it's a long, it's also part of the tradition for me, at least in, of Pan-Africanism, the, the idea of black unification, of being united under a common front and having in some ways common enemies or common challenges, which I would say today is encompassed in the idea of anti-blackness or um, racism, globalized systematic racism that manifests not only in countries like South Africa or in the U.S. or in other countries where the racial dynamics, but I would argue that anti-blackness exists in, mo in almost anywhere where you find a black or African, a black African human being. So Nandre, uh, just to build on what you have said, uh, do you, from your experience or from even your work, are there diverse expressions of Black consciousness, since you mentioned its origins are in South Africa with uh, Biko, but are there variations or ways in which it's expressed different in other places, like for instance, Brazil, South Africa, in other African countries, and so forth? 
Yes, I think there's so many different versions and they're called many different things. Um, of course, not everyone uses the black, the term black consciousness. There's the idea of Afrocentricity. There's, of course, the idea of Pan-Africanism. There's Afri there are different movements called Africanist movements. And many of those are captured in the literature and in the research of the African diaspora, which, of course, the experiences in the diaspora or um, different black civilizations that have emerged post the slave era are very different from the black civilizations that have emerged in Africa itself on the continent on the continent of Africa. Right, thank you so much for that. So if I'm hearing one of the things you're talking about is that it means different things to different people worldwide. Uh, but there is a sense that just to clarify it's a, it's a belief that you have about yourself, your identity and how you identify with a particular history and what you've mentioned is that dimension of racism but also that other dimension of um, colonialism also right so the anti-colonial sort of uh, thinking and how we deal with anti-colonialism also plays a big part here is there associations that people make with skin color yes of course there's associations and the idea of um, anti-blackness which is a particular school of thought um, a very specific school of thought now that has emerged in the last, you know, few decades is that um, blackness is actually uh, on the end of the spectrum that receives the most discrimination of any other people in the world. And so they're actually the school of anti-blackness, which I agree with some concepts, but not all. Mm -hmm. um, definitely says that this, this, the color of your skin and in particular black skin has negative connotations and is discriminated against globally. So the idea that um, white oppression and the, and the white imperial complex affects black people, not just in countries that are predominantly white, but also globally. How, how is this anti-blackness theory and practice um, carried out in the US or even out in Africa? How, what does this look like when it comes to everyday living, um, policies, procedures, uh, economies, you know, things like that? Well, there are many different manifestations, and um, I can point to one or two which are kind of more in my area. So, for instance, the area that I've been studying currently has been on the idea of history and historical consciousness. And in my work, I argue that the, both the deletion of African history and the, um, the negative connotations associated with what Africa is have developed a particular form of anti-Blackness. So, for instance, we will find oftentimes African history and African civilization is left out of textbooks. So in the U.S., we definitely find that it's left out of textbooks here. But even when you go to the African continent, you can find oftentimes that African history may not begin with ancient African civilizations. It may begin with colonialism, blackness oftentimes. And in the 1960s and the 1970s, this and this was often an argument of a lot of the pro-independence leaders was that our history is only constructed around colonialism. So that, in, that itself says that black history is only a history when it relates to European civilization and European conquest. So that's a very specific area in which we find many African young people do not know their history, even those living on the continent. So for instance, in Nigeria, um, African history was actually removed from the curriculum for over 30 years. It's just being brought back. And so when I was doing this research and finding out about this, you know, a lot of people said, oh, Nigeria is an all black country. Um, we're predominantly black. Blackness does not matter. It's not an issue for Nigerians. 
And then you find, oh, but actually Nigerians don't know about Nigerian history because they have not been taught and it was completely omitted from the curriculum. So that itself, that itself is a racist act because it's saying your history is not actually important enough for you to learn about it. And anti-blackness is in so many things. It's in uh, one of my friends is studying, you know, hair, for instance, is a, is a very big area of uh, hair straightening, hair weaves. You can find the black women across the world are really one of the only sets of women that usually do not actually have their own, uh, do not actually embrace their hair and the context of their hair. And I would say that is also both an internalized form of um, self-hatred as well as an external capitalist manipulation in which, you know, black women purchase billions of dollars um, of hair products every year just to have straight hair or hair that um, is long or hair that is blonde or hair that is anything but African. So I would say those are some of the areas, but there's so many manifestations in the in, in terms of even the, institution, the institutionalization of racism globally. We know that African countries are some of the poorest countries in the world. And racism does not necessarily produce poverty, but it is used to uphold it. So it is used oftentimes as a justification. It was used um, during slavery. Um, the only way that um, people were enslaved was to inferiorize them. So also I would argue that today, the way to keep Africans poor is to continue to make, let them think that this is something that um, comes from an inferiority. Um, of blackness and an inferiority of African people. So it seems to me, Nanre, that when I, when I hear what you're saying and even think about what I have, you know, in the past few months, I've been trying to also just dig deeper on to, into this issue of black consciousness. And I realize that it's also an issue of attitude of mind and a way of life. And, and that there is some call to action for how people then should live their life. Uh, I think, like you say, this this realization that, for instance, me realizing I'm a black man and I need to rally together with my brothers um, who are also black around their, their, their causes of fighting oppression. Uh, if you tie this to the notion of blackness of their skin, sort of, uh, so that we can get rid of this oppression or fight oppression together. And you also mentioned that, I think your, your profile also mentions that you are Pan-African in this sense. Um, I, I keep wondering then, how does this link to the Black Lives Movement? How does the experiences, for instance, that we know about in Biko's struggle, um, and how, the, how those experiences during Biko's struggle could be relevant to these struggles between law enforcement and Black community here in the U.S.? Yes, well, I think Black Consciousness, the Black Lives Matter movement is basically, is, is embracing the idea of Black consciousness. It's also not just the idea of consciousness, but also of the validity and the importance of Black life. So actually our physical human essence and our ability to even exist in this planet without being physically attacked or even annihilated because of the color of our skin. So the Black Lives Matter movement, of course, focuses on several areas. It is actually a very large movement. And um, when you look at the movement for Black Lives covering institutionalized racism, but basically it's saying that the institution of racism affects every aspect of Black life. Mm -hmm. And the only way to uproot it is to fundamentally change these systems that are in place, such as the police, but also even extending into areas like schooling, mass incarceration, and many different areas where Black people are put in this situation where their own survival is oftentimes at stake. So 
the idea of Black Lives Matter is, is very important and very critical. And you will see this year is a particularly interesting year because you find that this has spilled over into many parts of the world outside of the United States. And the interesting thing is that the Pan-Africanist movement and the movements in the 1960s and the 1950s, actually, there's a very, actually a very long history of collaboration of mm -hmm. black people in Africa and in the US. Mm -hmm. So in the 1960s, what was occurring at the same time? The civil rights movement and the pro-independence movement was occurring simultaneously. And that was not a mistake. There, mm -hmm. were, there were people visiting. Malcolm X spent significant time in Africa. African leaders spent significant time in the US. Many of them were educated in American universities. And they were having these conversations. And you can find all these historical documents, which we often don't talk about anymore, about this realization that the, there is a collectivity in our struggle and that we cannot necessarily, Muhammad Ali is a, another you know, pan-Africanist that really embraced his African identity and his African-American identity. And a lot of these, these people said that this, the reason that we have to do this is we have a common plight and a common enemy, which is institutionalized white supremacy. And we need to embrace our blackness and we also need to fight for our very own survival. So taking it back, you know, even now what's happening in Africa, Ghana last year had the year of return, which was focused on saying that Africans from around the world should be able to come and reclaim their African identity. And this was a very significant movement. Unfortunately, it has not been replicated, but the original ideas of the organization of African unity and many of the ideas in the, or in the early independence days in the 50s and 60s was to create an African state where black people from all over the world no matter where they had gone, no matter where they had been taken forcibly, could embrace their African identity and be able to return to the African continent if they so choose. Yeah, I like I like what you're saying about the the synergy between what's going on with Black Lives Movement as well as what's going on on the on the uh, African continent and. How, we see examples of this, such as when um, certain countries are asking for their artwork back from Europe, um, from the museums and things like that, and asking for reparations for certain things that has has happened. You know, I it's exciting to see this uh, this happen worldwide because it's about the right timing. You know, it seems to be there's pockets of times like you were speaking about in the '60s and this time and this time, and so we're now we're in a new dispensation, if you will, of of us digging deeper and asking for more um, to regain what we have, what we what's been taken from us, basically, and um, being able to reestablish our our identity within ourselves, but also worldwide and seeing that we are capable of caring for ourselves. We've done it before, you know, and um, I think it's interesting to hear that some countries are starting to um, create curriculum again on, on the history of that, that country and the history of the people within that country. What, how, who else is doing this work as far as improving the curriculum and trying to gain um, history back in into our lessons at school? Well, I can't speak to, I can speak to the US and I can speak to Nigeria. Um, I'm still um, doing more studies on the other parts of the African continent, but um, the U.S. in particular has started focusing on um, teaching for Black lives, teaching African history in some districts such as Philadelphia, African history, African American history is a, is a mandatory part of the curriculum, and the movement for Black lives actually has the Black Lives Matters in school 
um, curriculum. And that is being, um, that's being adopted by educators across the United States. And it, had, it has been since 2016 when it was formed. And this year is actually an entire year of focus on Black lives. However, we do see that there is some like, while there are some African countries that are embracing the Black Lives Matters movement, there's also some backlash. And you'll find even the other week, um, one of the famous pastors uh, in Nigeria, Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris O, was actually saying that we should not call ourselves Black and we should not be associated with the Black Lives Matter movement. And this form of anti-Blackness does exist in Nigeria and in many African countries. It's often associated with religion and is often saying that there, there is a difference and you often find there is a divide between African-Americans and Africans. And of course, there's a divide and conquer strategy that's going on, but there's also a lot of conflict with Africans. And oftentimes the conflict comes around what parts of our history should we embrace and how can we move forward from this oppression? And so you find Africans often say, and I know one of the questions um, Levi sent me was talking about, um, do Africans often say, oh, we need to have moved on? Um, and I think that where we say, do we need to have moved on from racism? And there we start to have conflict. So if Africans say, oh, African-Americans should move on, that was a long time ago. And Africans also say to themselves, oh, colonialism, that has ended. Um, there's no more racism, that those kinds of ideas that the past is irrelevant um, actually produce the ideas of inferiorization of self and also put most of the blame back on Black people and on Black Africans for their current conditions. And so it's important to see that that historical consciousness and that historical context is also associated with internalized feelings of inferiority and supports movements against um, Blackness. You know, I um, I remember a time I, I growing up, <clears throat> growing up in Kenya. I remember a time when you start to really read about um, African history. I had the benefit of reading wider than what the curriculum allowed, and one of the things that you could just pick up from the texts um, is how really continent-wide for a regular young teen they were connected to a sense of a struggle that they knew was continent-wide. Mm. There, was, there, was, there was that palatable feeling, it seems, that they realized that whatever independent struggle that they favored for their own country was intimately connected to African, to an African struggle, right? Mm. And it seems that, that um, when, you, when you read some of the texts of African-American leaders, it seems that they were also in tune with that as well. Um, their struggle being part of the, um, connected to the struggle of, of, of Africans in Africa. And it could be two teenagers, um, one in Africa and one in, um, in America, both black, that through their life experiences were probably both in tune with that without ever having to have spoken to each other, right? So there was that international grapevine of struggle that kind of united that without, um, you know, even trying almost. Today, a young teenager in both of those countries might not care about the other person's experience on average, right? Something has been delinked, right? And what was that, one, two, how do we get it back? 
and does it matter if we get it back or do our separate experiences of um our you know our blackness do they do they do they don't maybe they can just thrive independently of each other or do we still need that you know connection that once was that's a that's a great question um and i think that what has happened um has been uh, uh, what i would call whitewashing of history and um, kind of saying that history is, is not as important for our young people to embrace and that has come with the curriculum and we have to understand there are also material reasons for this so we look at young people today and we look at what are the things that they value what are they interested in what do they purchase what clothes do they wear what kind of food do they eat um, where do they want to go on the weekends and you know culture is an essential part of any civilization and when you remove aspects of that culture the civilization changes of course it changes it becomes another civilization and this is normal all civilizations evolve and change african civilizations have evolved over time sure. but when you remove completely uh, Franz Fanon calls them reference points when you remove the history when you remove those cultural reference points then it's as if there is nothing to hold on to to be able to make those decisions and to make those references of the past to which we construct our future. And so this delinking that you're talking about is actually, you know, um, is actually an, an area in which it has been extensively dis discussed in African studies and saying that we are, we are being separated. And, you know, some of the movements that Linda mentioned earlier to return things to the museums, to revive culture and to revive all these things is very important because that culture is the only thing that can, can hold a civilization to be able to move forward in some coherent way. Otherwise, we are very susceptible to whatever the world provides. And as I said, that's linked to economics, right? Mm -hmm. So we have what we, if, if an African, if a Kenyan, for example, you know, loves Ngugi and wants to read his books, well, he's gonna purchase those books. And if he loves the, the culture and he wants to buy clothes that are woven by native, you know, weavers, to buy those products. And if he eats Kenyan food or if a Nigerian eats, you know, Nigerian food, those are all things that are purchased internally and those generate local economy. But when our tastes become very Western, we also tend to, and that's why you find Africa is, off, is often a net importer instead of an exporter, is that it, it's, it's also, it's not just a theoretical or conceptual thing, it's actually material. So when our cultural tastes move from and reject our own culture, we actually begin to be delinked, as you said, and we actually begin to bring in things from the outside, which is also negative to our economies and to our own development. Whether we should develop separately, um, it's a question that is important. And I think that pan both Pan-Africanism and Black, social, Black consciousness say that because of white supremacy, we have no option but to join together in this common struggle. And if you see the foundation documents of organizations such as the OAU, which is now, of course, the AU, there was this idea of the common enemy and a common struggle and saying that because Africans and Black people are linked together by this common struggle, 
we cannot separate our struggle or divided we will not be able to conquer so let's take african history for example an african child that comes to the u.s um is called i was just discussing it with a colleague today comes to the u.s and is called African booty scratcher, which is a common term that was used in the US for African kids. And I was surprised because I was speaking to a young person today and she was telling me that was her same experience. That's completely mm. horrible. But mm. these are African Americans calling Africans African booty scratcher. Mm. And so you find that this is a form of an internalized self-hatred mm. that, that cannot possibly be beneficial to that person's development because to somebody else, that African child and that African-American child look the same. Mm -hmm. And when the police decide to shoot somebody down, they don't know if they're from Uganda or if they're, they're, genera they're 400 years generation in, in Mississippi. So the idea of having a united front is that there is this common struggle and without collectively moving together and embracing ourselves. And, and that's also the reason I argue that African history is often, even times when you say you teach African-American history, but you don't want to teach African history. Why? These are civil, when we teach European civilizations, we go, when we teach West, when we teach U.S. history, when we teach Western civilization, we go back thousands of years, mm -hmm. you know, but when we come, when it comes to African history, African-American history, we want to talk about 400 years. Mm -hmm. So there is, in, in that way, we, we must say there's, there is no option. We are not, it's, it's different from maybe Irish Americans or it's different from other people because of this traumatized past and the mm -hmm. need for this collective healing. It mm -hmm. is very important that we have a common struggle. Maybe hundreds of years from now, it may not be as important. And definitely there's a need for learning across the culture. So for instance, an African today, Nigerian may say, oh, you know, why are you guys doing black? I think for the first time, actually, I was really refreshed this year of all the negative things that happened this year was that for the first time, Nigerians were calling me and saying, oh, my God, this you are America. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, <laughs> that's very interesting because all these years that I've been traveling back and forth between the two continents, you've been saying I'm exaggerating about the plight of African-Americans. And you have been saying that they should you know, they should move on from the struggle. But I've been trying to tell you that these are the realities that are being faced. And so social media and videos are now bringing to light, you know, this desperate situation. And hopefully it will also be the reverse. Definitely here and in the diaspora, oftentimes, unfortunately, when Africa is embraced, it's often romanticized. So that's also another problem. And that's where you have people pushing back against people like Beyonce, and saying, oh, you know, you're taking this culture without necessarily knowing about it. And, the, and there is some truth. You have, we do have to have, the knowledge has to go both ways. And being aware of not only Africa's rich heritage, but also the current challenges. So for instance, Black Lives, we're, we're talking about Black Lives in the US, but at the same time in Nigeria, in Kenya, in Zimbabwe, in Senegal, in Dakar, you know, people are being killed every day. The human rights activists are being oppressed. Journalists are being arrested. And so we have to also understand that this is a common struggle. And there are also black leaders that are oppressing um, black citizens of their own countries, but it's still a common struggle. So, so thank you, Andrew. So one thing I was trying to do based on what you just said, uh, so one of the, we could say that one of the uh, you know, outcomes, if you like to use that loosely, is that there's a liberation of the mind, right? When you identify with your deeper history, 
as an African or as a black person. And so once that happens, one of the questions that someone asked me, a student actually, who asked me, why does that matter? Because this student was actually pursuing a business degree. And so I was thinking in terms of what this student is interested in, of course, is this issue, like you said, capitalism and money. Um, and so I, I was trying to make and help me make this link. I was trying to make this link between being black conscious and how that can be related to systemic racism, right? In the sense that you see these things like wealth gaps that exist between white and black families um, and how that link is what that student was interested in understanding that there is this problem of the wealth gap where you have white families, wealth quadruples more than black families. And so you have these very practical policy problems. But then the issue becomes, how do you connect that to black consciousness? Have you been able to grapple with that and make some connection there? Yes, of course. Um, I, our consciousness of ourselves, we can even take in, uh, we can even just put it down to a basic relationships, uh, our everyday relationships. Um, if we know ourselves and we understand who we are, how we operate, how we function, and the things that make us work or not work, we can better understand our relationships with other people. And oftentimes when I'm talking to people about Black consciousness, there's actually a lot of negative things that Black people and Africans say about themselves, about the continent, or about other Black people that they feel are somehow inferior to them, maybe because they're poor or because Africa has corruption. So I would say in the first instance, let us first believe in ourselves. Let us first say we are dignified, we deserve human dignity, and we are not fundamentally flawed. We must, that, that is the premise. We must first understand that. And it, it is only after that that we can say, if we are not fundamentally flawed, if there is nothing wrong with us as Black people, then what exactly is going on? And when we cannot, then we can really start to ask the questions, oh, so if there's nothing wrong with Black people, why are Black people poor? And then you can say, okay, a Black person can't get their household. A Black person cannot get a mortgage. A Black family, a Black man is more likely to get arrested in school, and then he cannot vote, and he cannot get um, you cannot have any money. And so you begin to start to see, and the same thing in Africa, if you can say, okay, if there's nothing wrong with Africans, because oftentimes I'll meet people and say, oh, you know, uh, Africans, I don't know what our problem is. You know, Nigerians say it all the time, oh, this is Nigeria, you know, this is Africa, what our problem is. And if you begin to say, okay, no, I don't think there's anything wrong with Nigerians. Why is Nigeria underdeveloped? And I don't say developing, I don't say undeveloped. That's a history for, that's a, a topic for another day. But why are we currently in this situation? And then you can start to look at what are these systematic institutionalized barriers that are holding us back? And from that position of confidence, from that position of consciousness, we can better act. And that's the idea of historical consciousness is they found that, um, we found that historical consciousness, having an idea of the past enables you, especially having collective ideas of the past, enables you to envision what the future will be like. So if you have a negative conception of your past, you are less likely to be able to be engaged in constructing a positive future. So that is why we as a people have to become aware and confident of ourselves. Then we can really begin to analyze. And that's why it's not about you know reverse racism. It's not about fighting or hating people from other ethnic groups. It's not about hating white people. It's not about any of that. It's about saying, fundamentally where I stand, you and I know if we're in a relationship, you know, we're in a marriage or we're in a long-term relationship or even a friendship, that if we don't have confidence in who we are, 
that relationship will always be problematic. Our relationship, it can never be stable. But if you have two stable people, if you have people that are aware of themselves, if you are conscious of yourselves, then everything around you begins to make sense. And that's kind of the idea of Black consciousness, is saying that because we are under attack, this being under attack, it makes us feel inferior in some way. And so we must push back, embrace ourselves, and then we can then be better equipped to handle whatever struggle or challenge we mm -hmm. face collectively. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Michael, did you want to say something? No, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Nandra, I really, I really like that statement that you made there, and I'm paraphrasing that connection between Black consciousness and the vision you have for the future. Because when people today think about social change, the way you envision it can be defined by someone who doesn't have an understanding of your history. So you have a historical approaches that perhaps a development economist may have an idea of how you should develop. And I think you wanted to touch on that, but I'm going to bring it in. And I think this goes back to Walter Rodney and how Europe underdeveloped Africa and so forth. And you have someone who is, does not have an understanding of your history, and yet they want to come up with a model for your future development. And so you leave that to them, but you, the person who should benefit from that, have not made that connection between who you are and what that vision for the future should look like for you. The idea, that idea of pride, self-determination, in the sense that you can promote a political agenda that's tied to your self-determination. Um, I think that's very crucial, especially when people are thinking about things like development, social change, and this area, which is very sometimes uh, done a lot by people who don't understand Africa. And and in many in many ways, we have to understand that there are very many exploitative reasons that um, are related to us. So, for instance, if you take something like uh, it's not necessarily that they don't understand Africa, but perhaps they understand it in ways in which we don't even want to embrace. So, for instance, if you t uh, if you take indigenous medicines, for example, many of the indigenous medicines in Africa that are being patented by US and European firms being processed and sold back to Africans. You know, and at the same time, there's a pushback and saying, oh, you know, these drugs, you can't use them. They're not, they're not Western medicine and things like that. So that's why we always have to understand that every country, and of course, Rodney argued about this, is that countries have their own, the, the development is actually being able to adapt to your own environment and to be able to build your own culture and civilization based on the needs of those societies. So other societies will take their own interests and come to us and take what they need out. So it's only up to us to say, we are going to take care of our own interests and then we can then relate to you. And if your interest is against that of our own people, if it demoralizes us, if it impoverishes us, if it denies us of our humanity, then we don't want any part of that. And that is why it's very important for us to have a very strong and clear position as mm -hmm. Blacks, as Africans, on where we stand in our own identity and what we want for our communities, for our nations, and collectively for Black people across the world. Great. And I don't think I want to add to that last message, Andre. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us and all these uh, insights that you've provided us. And even for those who are listening, it hopefully gets people thinking about Black consciousness and what it means and how to start sort of engaging with that reflection. Uh, but it feels to me, Nanre, like uh, we have opened up uh, a lot of streams here that would be interesting to explore in the future 
when you're available and when you have time, I have a feeling that a lot of people will have interesting questions and, you know, even listen, even myself, I probably have like a ton of questions that would keep me here for two hours if I was just to have a good conversation with you on this issue. But uh, really, thank you so much. And uh, with that, uh, for our listeners, thank you so much for listening in. Um, this is perhaps I would say one of many, many to come conversations on this topic because as we pointed out even at the beginning when Nandre you were talking, there's so many ways we could explore this question and so many things we could talk about. But it does matter today. Um, you know, when, when, when you even hear the politics of the US today and international policy, I was just reading an article about Biden's foreign policy today uh, and our title was Biden is getting ready, is getting ready to bury neoliberalism. And I was reading closely in terms of what does that even mean? Like mm. for the next president, if he becomes, and of course you hear the current president who's running with an agenda, make America great again, again. And you have to ask what do those mean? Uh, and this means both within the US and even in Africa, that it has, it has implications on what that means and what it means for individuals who are interested in these issues of systemic racism, institutional racism, and structural racism. So hopefully, Nandri, in some point in future, we can explore this. But for now, we'll end it here. And thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Join us for the next episode of All Things Africa with Levy, Mike, and Linda. To get instant notifications on new episodes, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to our podcast. Or find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash all things Africa. Follow us on Twitter and keep the conversation going with the hashtag AllThingsAfrica. Africa.